Welcome, friends, to our podcast, Arise, My Darling. My name is Andrea, and I am joined by my very sweet friend, Liz. We want this to be a space that encourages and invites you to become more aware of the ways that God is constantly pursuing you. To awaken you to be on the lookout for sweet kisses our Lord sends you each day, because you have ravished His heart. So snuggle in and get ready for epic adventures, unexplainable friendship, and an abundance of joy. Hello, our darlings, and welcome back for another episode. I'm so happy to be back. It was really lovely listening to my mom. Lovely. It was lovely. On the episode, but I'm glad to be back. That's right. And it's good to have you back, Liz. Uh, Your mom is delightful. She is. It's so clear where you get so much of your delightfulness because she has that same passion that you have too. I loved how she teared up the at the end talking about Aunt Betty because we all love Aunt Betty. So. We all love Aunt Betty. And yeah. if you closed your eyes and you didn't know that my mom was a special guest, you probably <laughs> would just think it was me talking. <laughs> From Peru. <laughs> From Peru. I know. I was like listening to our voices and I was like, dang. We really do sound alike. Totally we thing. really do sound alike. Totally uh, it's so great. But how are you doing, Andrea? I am doing really well. Doing really well. I am enjoying my little yellow finches that become a little more yellow every day. And the sunlight, just deeply in love with the sunlight right now. My husband and I were just talking and he's like, just come stand in the sunlight with me. So it's growing. It's actually a thing in our house now oh. where both of us are like, let's go sit in the sunlight. So... It's kind of delicious. That's so good. So are your birds as fat as our birds are? Because No, no, it's a Bloomington thing. <laughs> are huge. I swear they sit on the branch and the branch lowers because they're so fat. We all just sat in amazement looking out our window the other day at how huge this robin was that was sitting on one of our branches. Like they are just large. They're large. I've noticed that about your squirrels too. So I think, oh, I think yeah, there's yeah. an obesity problem in, in your neighborhood. Yeah, I don't know what's happening, <laughs> but uh, we're going to have an intervention. We're going to have an intervention. It'll be okay. <laughs> so Liz, how are you doing? <laughs> I am doing really well. I'm doing really well. We just got back from Peru and it was an incredible mission trip. Incredible experience. I loved it because I got to be super motherly the whole time mm. I was there. Love that. But I just love seeing the ways that the Lord transformed the lives of our students. And it's amazing what happens when you take away their phones and their schoolwork for a week, make them climb up a really steep mountain and do some manual labor. Like the Lord encounters them in ways they've never experienced before. And so just like hearing the stories and watching that transformation happen just made me fall in love with my job all over again. Love that. That's beautiful. Love that. Well, this week, we're going to turn the corner and we're going to talk about the actual same passage. We're actually going to pull out the entire passage, including the official's daughter. And we're going to be looking at it from the opposite side of our ability to encounter God and the things that both help and hinder that. And uh, Mm -hmm. as Liz and I talked ahead of time, we realized that we kind of narrow it down to two elements And it's this idea that we need to recognize our need and then cultivate receptivity because God is in a constant state of wanting to care for us. That is just Mm -hmm. the truth. I understand that part of my walk with God required me to really wrestle with whether or not God was good, but that has been put to rest. And I am completely convinced that God is good. Completely. Completely. Amen. It's like a fire hose, just constantly just was to pour rain down on us. Amen. 
Amen. So, so what, why not be receptive? And so we're just going to be talking through those two elements. And Liz, would you like to start us by reading through this passage? Yeah, we're going to read the whole section. So a little bit more than we read last week. So just get yourself in a comfy place. Maybe go sit in the sunshine as you're listening this, close your eyes. And hopefully my voice can just wash over you. But really just God's words (laughs) washing over you. (laughs) And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jarius by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and besought him, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a flow of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garment, I shall be made well. And immediately the hemorrhage ceased and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone forth from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who has touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had been done to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But ignoring what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, he saw a tumult and people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why do you make a tumult and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and walked for she was 12 years old, and immediately they were overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Amen. I love that when Jesus gets done performing a miracle, always his first command is, get this person something to eat. <laughs> give them food. I'm like, yes, Jesus, your priorities are in line. <laughs> Food first. <laughs> so good. So good. You know, we pointed out last week that the woman had been bleeding for 12 years and the little girl was 12 years old. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, there is a part of me that's kind of like, I just want to get into the short line really quick here with Jesus and be like, can you explain that to me just really quick? <laughs> yeah, because you know it's intentional. I, I know. know intentional. It, I, I'm so fascinated by it, but I have really no idea um, why it's there, um, except that you can gauge part of that woman's life through an entire life of a child, um, mm-hmm. how long that woman has suffered. Um, that's but, true. So what we wanted to focus on this week is, the, is really both of these people, um, definitely the woman and her situation, but also Jarius, who is named, which means he's a significant character in the, mm-hmm. in the story, but um, also that he's, he's in the synagogue. That's a really big deal. Uh, for that man to come to Jesus in a very different way than for this bleeding woman to come to Jesus. But both of them are coming with a heart of desperation. They Mm -hmm. absolutely need Jesus. There is no other way that the pain in their hearts, the pain in their bodies, the pain in their, their souls is going to be tended to except through Jesus. And and they model for us this amazing understanding of how desperate their situations are. Yeah. And I feel like Jesus does this a lot in the scriptures. It makes me think of also the story of like the prodigal son, right? Where he gives us this image of a son who very outwardly you can tell is sinning. And then also a son that very inwardly is experiencing a lot of sin in like the younger and the older. Again, Jesus kind of does that in this scripture where outwardly you're seeing the, seeing the suffering of this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. Yeah. And inwardly you're seeing the suffering of this father who actually up to this point has just kind of written off Jesus and what he's doing and hasn't had this, this great belief. Um, and so it's lovely because we go through different points in our lives where we can relate with the different characters. Maybe you're experiencing this, this desperation, this, um, disbelief, needing, going to Jesus uh, out of this poverty of your soul, or maybe you're experiencing physical suffering, like the hemorrhaging woman. And he's like, oh, I know that it happens both exteriorly and interiorly. So let me give you an example of both of them and kind of back to back. Yeah. Yeah. And as speaking as a mother, I probably will take a lot of pain in my body, but as soon as I see my children suffer, like I'm running to Jesus. Like, yeah. I am so aware of my poverty when it comes to the pain of people I love and I can put up, if you will, with a lot of pain in my own body. Uh, And why I do that, I can't really explain that. Like, why am I not just running to Jesus for that as well? But I definitely have seen that when there's pain in others, I am a lot quicker to bend my knee and beg Jesus to intervene. Yeah. I have been reading this book uh, called Hind's Feet in High Places, and uh, it's just lovely. If you haven't read the book, you should read it. It's just, it's beautiful. And I've been really slow going through it because each chapter just like punches me in the heart. Um, It pierces me. And this past chapter, the character, the main character's name is Much Afraid, and she's going through the Valley of Loss, um, which feels kind of fitting because that there's a lot of loss that both of the characters in this story are experiencing the hemorrhaging woman and the official. There's a quote in the book that much afraid the main character remembers from the shepherds, one of the shepherd's servants. And she says that love is beautiful, but it is also terrible. 
terrible in its determination to allow nothing blemished or unworthy to remain in the beloved. And as she recalls this phrase, she has this realization that the shepherd will not be content until he makes much afraid in what he has determined that she ought to be, that he would stop at nothing to help her to live in the fullness of freedom and yeah, just become her most authentic version of herself. And I really see this pursuit in Jesus's pursuit of the hemorrhaging woman, but also Jesus's pursuit of the father of this little girl who has died. And for me, obviously I'm not a theologian, but for me, the story of the little girl being uh, rose from the dead is really about the father. Like, I mean, it's amazing that the little girl was risen from the dead, um, but that's not really the point. I think the point is that Jesus wants the heart of Jarius, like wants the heart of this father and thinks about what, what is the path in order to get to this man's heart. And even though he doesn't want this little girl to die, realizes that in this suffering, it actually will be the unlocking, the opportunity for this man to experience his poverty and then in desperation to come to Jesus. And I think if you look at it through a lens where we didn't understand suffering, if we just assume suffering to be bad, you would see the story and be like, how could Jesus do that? Like, how could he allow this man's daughter to die? Um, That's so cruel of him. Um, But when we look at it through this lens of this quote, where he is so determined to allow nothing blemished or unworthy to remain in the beloved when we look at it through that lens, it actually makes a lot of sense why Jesus uh, would allow this to happen because, well, one, he knew he could raise the daughter from the dead. (laughs) And he also knew that it would result in the conversion of this man's heart. And so I I see Jesus doing that. Um, There's another book that I read. It's called A Severe Mercy. And the concept is essentially that the Lord allows things in our lives that causes a lot of suffering to happen because it contributes to our conversion to, to fall more in love with him. Mm. And it makes me view this situation uh, with Jarius as a severe mercy that the Lord has allowed, even though it was like deep suffering, it also led to a deep conversion. And, and Jesus does that in our lives. Like, I don't know if you can think of a time, Andrea, of where the Lord has allowed something that caused a lot of suffering to happen, but in the end, it brought about great transformation within your heart. Well, certainly I think of my mother's Alzheimer's. I mean, that was Mm -hmm. an eight-year battle. And, um, you know, occasionally people would just ask us, how's your mom doing? And there's no no good answer to that question. It's a a kindness to ask people that, but she's dying and she's not doing well and she's not going to do well. Like she's going to slowly slip away from us. Um, But she's been gone about four years now. And I do look back and I see just an enormous like waterfall of mercies that fell upon us, whether it was finances or uh, our family drawing together, uh, extended family being reconnected to us, um, the way caregivers came into our lives and spoke good words over us, the way some of my mother's friends came back to her to care for her in those end days. I mean, it, it really was, it was, 
it was enormously difficult and, and, a, and a crazy amount of tears. But I also think of the way my own children experienced that and the ways that's going to play out in their lives. Watching my father take care of my mother, it healed a lot of my own wounds that I had with my father to see him be so tender with my mother. And so, yes, suffering in so many ways uh, makes us receptive to the the things of God. And, and it reintroduces us because that's all it is. It's a reintroduction to the truth of our poverty. Um, and I know you've said this multiple times over the years on our podcast that we lose track of our poverty. Maybe Amen. that's the way to say that. Yeah. That... The fact that I can breathe <laughs> the next breath is really a result of God's goodness. And we forget that. We, we yeah. so quickly take for granted our lives. And I'm sure as you walked into Peru and saw the intense physical poverty there, you became very aware, as you said your students did, as to their amazing physical uh, wealth that they have. That's obviously the thing that hits you the hardest when you walk into some of these third world countries. Um, but I liked what you said about how it was also actually a picture of the spiritual poverty that we live in, just not the physical poverty that we live in the state. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was amazing to me because yeah, you encounter poverty in a way that I've never encountered poverty before um, in Peru. And I thought that it would cause me like a lot of distress, like in a new way, a distress that I hadn't experienced before, this anguish. And it caused me deep sadness because I realized that it was this outward sign of this inward reality of the lives of the students on the campus uh, that I serve at. And it was amazing to me. It's very easy to see poverty when it's before our eyes, but it's really hard for us to see our own poverty oftentimes. And as these students' hearts were breaking for the people in Peru and the poverty that they were living in, yeah, one of my prayers was just that their own hearts would break for, for their own poverty, that they would see their own need and the ways that their own heart is reflected in this place that we are, we're at and yeah, Mother Teresa, when she came to the United States, she said, after serving in Calcutta, which is so poor, right? All these places that they're just extreme physical poverty. Extreme and she poverty. came to the United States and said, this is the poorest place I have ever been to. Yeah. And it was because of our spiritual poverty here. And you're so right, Andrea. You said, we, we forget. We forget. I, I joke with my students with the line where, like, without God, we can do nothing. And I, I feel like I need that as a constant just message flowing through my head every single day because we forget so quickly that I'm like, literally nothing means nothing, not a single thing, right? Like zilch, nothing. You can't even breathe without God. And yeah, it's so, it's so easy to forget our own poverty. And then just, yeah, Andrea had asked me what, what's something that gets in the way of me being receptive to Jesus and this is it, like forgetting my poverty. And the other week before we went to Peru, I was just, whoo, I had a lot on my plate and there was a lot of things going on. And when there's a lot to get done, what should happen is that I should go to Jesus and be like, wow, I need extra. Like I need you extra, even more than I typically do. But in my humanity, what happens is I just kind of 
put my head down and I just start accomplishing all the tasks. And I feel Jesus being like, Hey, 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 can I help you? I'm like, not now, Jesus. I don't got time for that. I'm trying to get things done. I'm trying to get things accomplished. Like, look at me. I'm really focused. Look at all these things that I'm doing. And, and that works. Usually the Lord allows me to be humored for a couple of days where I'm very productive and I just get things done. But without fail, this happens every single time. I just hit this breaking point where I just sob <laughs> because the amount that has to get done, it passes, surpasses my threshold of what I realize that I'm capable of. But the Lord needs me to get there in order for me to remember that I need him. And this time around, it really brought some beautiful prayer. I was, yeah, as I was having my meltdown and crying before Jesus, I just had this image of, I was a little girl but dressed up in adults clothing. So I was wearing like a, like a suit jacket and a pencil skirt, but they were kind of like falling off of me because they were way too big and high heels that were like adult sizes, but I was like a five or six year old. Right. So none of these clothes fit. And I just kind of sat in this like crumpled little ball on the floor crying because I had realized that I was trying to play this role of this adult with all these things put together but inside, I'm just this little girl who needs my father desperately. And I just forget. I forget that I, and, and sometimes I want to forget. I'm like, no, I'm not this little girl who desperately needs her father because I'm 26 and I'm an adult and I have these things put together. And then, yeah, it's just not true. I will always be a little girl who desperately needs my father. And sometimes the Lord lets me, has to like, let me kind of go through the motions of thinking that I have everything together for me to come back to that realization that I can do nothing without him. Amen. It reminds me of my poverty. Amen. Yeah. Um, it almost seems silly that we have trouble encountering God given how much he wants to encounter us. Yes. And yet, you know, yes. we look at, we look at this story, we look at, at your story here and, and desperation is a gift. And, mm. and I don't think I understood that. I think I spent a lot of my walk with God feeling kind of ashamed at how desperate I've been because I've been so painfully aware of my brokenness. So scared of raising my kids at times, mm. particularly two little girls when I felt like my sense of femininity was so poor um, and broken and limited. And I felt like I was like constantly looking over my shoulder at these little girls that were, I was trying to lead while I didn't know where I was going or what I was doing and desperately mm -hmm. looking for people to help me grow into who I was supposed to be. And, and I liked the quote that you used there that um, what you ought to be, that there's something really powerful about that phrase of, becoming what God knows you ought to be, like what mm. his plan was. And, and I'm seeing that more and more unfold in my life, that um, this is one of the, the things I appreciate about my stage of life is that I get to do a lot more reflection. And so I look at the body of work that I've done, because I've done a lot of that work, and I see the places where not just being effective, but like have brought life to my bones. And so this idea of who I ought to be, it's like taking shape. Mm. And now I can be very purposeful as to where I point those things. 
because I've been sitting in places of receptivity um, to encountering God and allowing him to kind of color the picture, if you will. Like I've been handed this pretty clear picture, but I, I'm still waiting for God to kind of color it, if that makes sense. I do find that my receptivity is not so much my to-do list or what what hinders my receptivity is not so much my to-do list as much as um, just distractions. That seems such a, that seems so paltry, right? Like I'm my own worst distraction sometimes <laughs> in that I just start thinking about how I'm being perceived. And um, there's mm-hmm. this line in Joe versus the volcano, <laughs> which I know you were waiting for me to quote that today. I was like, what is that? <laughs> It's a fantastic show with uh, Meg Ryan and, and uh, um, Joe versus the volcano. Joe versus the volcano. And it's just about a man who is diagnosed with something and he thinks he's going to die. So he's going to jump in a volcano to appease the gods as a act of goodwill for the, this tribe of people. <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. The Lord takes our conversations to places. I just cannot anticipate. <laughs> We spent somewhere totally sideways here. <laughs> anyway, there's this line in Joe versus the volcano where he says, you know what I've learned about myself? I've learned that thinking about myself is really boring <laughs> and to care mm. about others is really what life is about. It's not just about thinking about Let ourselves. Go, Joe. <laughs> And, uh, and it's true. It, it is. It's so boring to just think about yourself all the time. Amen. <laughs> and it's so life-giving to really live our lives in, in love, to just do mm-hmm. exactly what God is doing with us, which is trying to love us, to turn around and just love our neighbor as ourself and let God love us. And so it's good to be receptive. <laughs> it's good to recognize our need. And then it's good to get loved. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And both of these, the woman, the hemorrhaging woman and uh, Jarius, they had to receive, like Jesus can work all of the wonders and do all of the things. But if our hearts aren't in a posture of receptivity, aren't like Mary's heart when she receives the Holy Spirit into her womb, it won't work. Like it will be like, really good things, but they're, it's hitting against a dam that's yes. been built up. And I think that the desperation of the hemorrhaging woman and Jarius lead to them being more receptive because yes. they're like, I literally have nothing else. And, and sometimes Jesus does that. He so desperately wants us to be in a posture of receptivity to receive this waterfall of grace that he wants to give to us and good gifts. Um, but we're so darn stubborn sometimes that like Jesus loves me enough to actually allow me to enter into these def- desperate places because he knows that that is the only place at which I would finally receive him. Yeah. And I know that maybe the world does not see love that way, but that is what real love is. That is what true love is, is to pursue us with that intensity that he wants us to receive him and he will stop at nothing to try to guide us to the point where our hearts finally do break and open for him. Yeah. And this is, this is one of the gifts of becoming a parent is that you all of a sudden see that worldview 
a lot clearer because you have your own children. You understand Mm -hmm. that you can't just say to a child, don't touch the oven. (laughs) Some kids are going to be like, okay, I heard that. I'm not going to touch the oven. Other kids are like, this oven over here? As they put their hand on it. (laughs) The one that, oh, oh, ah! (laughs) like everybody has their way of learning things. And, and no matter how deep your heart is as a parent, for them to know truth, they still have to encounter truth. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a really hard ride as a parent. And it gives you this perspective of God that you, you just probably didn't have prior to that. I was amazed. It almost felt like a light switch was flipped once we started having kids and realized, oh, this is how God sees me. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, mm, yeah. That changes some things. Um, Dang. But you're right, to constantly take some time to recognize our need and to not be ashamed of desperation, mm. to not yeah. see that as somehow, oh, I'm such a mess that I, I'm now I'm desperate. It's like, no, that could actually be a gift from God. And that that's okay for that to actually be a consistent part of our lives to take some time to, to meditate on the fact that we really are in a desperate state before God. Not, not one that should create anxiety and worry, but just a hunger, right? Thirsty. That was a phrase. I really like the, the phrase thirsty. Somebody who is like, it's not enough. I want more. I want more yeah. because you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And so you just keep going back to that living water, right? Like the woman yes. leaving the well, who's like, I'm going to tell everybody, we're getting everybody out here. This, yes. this is all going to happen. Everyone now. needs to drink from this. Because she gets it. She gets it. Yeah. Um, and she wants everybody to come. So. And, a, and, and, and following the model of the woman and Jarius who in their desperation turned to Jesus. That's the key is that so often yeah. when we hit these points of je- desperation, we're like, I'm desperate. Now I must fix this desperation myself. And then we try to, well you know, grasp at things of this world or try to fill it or try to fix it ourselves. Right. I mean, that's what that, the hemorrhaging woman did first. She spent 12 years going to doctor after doctor, trying to fix it herself. Right. And I'm sure yeah, if you watch the Chosen series, the story of the little girl and Jarius, they they bring in all these doctors trying to fix this little girl's sickness first with all of these different concoctions, and they're trying they're trying so desperately to fix it by themselves, yeah. and then both of them realize they can't, yeah, and they go to Jesus, and that's that's what the key is, and it's good to know this, right? So when we find ourselves in these place of desperation, it's not a place of like of shame where you need to hide yourself and fix it. Mm-hmm. When you find yourself in desperation, you need to run to Jesus because if you could only just touch his garment, Amen. you would be healed. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Like the humility associated with understanding our poverty is actually part of the spiritual maturity that comes with constantly going to God, constantly bringing that and developing it really not only as a habit, but an expectation of Jesus is going to take me to another space that's more beautiful, but there will be some pain involved with it, but that's okay. That's okay. It's It's a good pain. It's a, it's the type of pain that helps me become who I was supposed to be, who I ought to be. Right. Amen. 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 Well said. 
Well, our darlings, we encourage you to let God encounter you this week in whatever form that might look like and to take some time. And maybe this is a simple journal exercise to simply write out some of the ways that you need God, the ways that we are actually desperate for God on a minute to minute basis, much less a daily or just regular basis to understand that that is actually our reality. And we spend a lot of time trying to pretend that's not our reality, but it actually is. And the good news is that Jesus is kind and loving and has paid the highest price so that we might know that love and have access to that love. And he so actively desires to be intimate with us. And so we just encourage you to allow that to happen in your life. Yeah. Open your hearts, open your hearts to him and just ask him if, if you find yourself having a, a hard time receiving him, just asking him to reveal the places in your hearts that you've built up these dams, the place in your hearts that you've closed off to being receptive, to allowing yourself to be encountered. Oh, because he wants to, he wants to encounter you. <laughs> oh man, it's so good. Dang, diggity dang, good stuff. So Liz, do you have a sweet kiss for us this week? So many sweet kisses. Honestly, though, my sweet kiss happened when we came back to the States. Okay. Um, I went and saw the St. Louis Symphony Orchestra Nice. the other day. And wow, I just sat in awe and wonder. One, that God created human beings and then created us capable of making music that beautiful. <laughs> like, Man. oh my gosh, it was insane. It was absolutely insane. And I think I just sat there with my mouth open, smiling the whole time because <laughs> it felt so good just to be so immersed in the beauty and the beauty of this music that these musicians were, were creating. But it also just ignited my soul because there is this line in, in the book that I read and it said, we get frustrated with beauty that is fleeting because we were made for beauty that is eternal. Well, and I, I knew that, like, as soon as the concert was over, I was like, I want more. <laughs> like, no, this is not enough. And Jesus is like, you're right. And I was like, oh yeah, you're right. But it was just a sweet kiss. I feel like when I can just sit and be that immersed in beauty, Jesus just kisses me because he's like, aren't you so excited for heaven? Aren't you so excited that heaven is an endless stream of this beauty? Mm. It will never stop. Like it will never stop when you're in heaven. And it just gets me really excited. <laughs> so that was, that was my sweet kiss. But what is your sweet kiss, Andrea? Uh, well, typically this is, I think this is Liz's answer, but my answer this year is daffodils. Ooh. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, and can I just say it's daffodils that squirrels have planted? Let's just be really specific. So they're like, how do you know the difference? (laughs) Because they're in totally random places where no people were were planting them. That's fair. On the side of the road. People are not planting them on the side of the road. Those are squirrels doing their (laughs) jobs and in the middle of the woods. And uh, my neighbor uh, has a, a beautiful fence row of daffodils. Like it's just glorious every day. It feels a little Christmassy. Like I run to my window to see how many of them are, are <laughs> bursting forth today. 
But then she has a whole bunch of them that just randomly through the yard because that's what the squirrels have do. They just dig up, they take a couple, and then they go plant them somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And I, I wrote a blog on this the other day. I feel like the color yellow is just splashing all around me right now, whether it's the forsythia or the daffodils or the colors of the of the little yellow finches. Like it's just, mm-hmm. I have never loved yellow. I got to be honest. Yellow's, there's a joke. I love yellow. There's, I'm sure you do, Liz. <laughs> there's a joke that um, my kids used to play this little computer game and all the colors would introduce themselves and yellow would introduce itself as I'm yellow and I like to bellow. <laughs> and I was like, okay, yellow is just too much for me. Too much. <laughs> but not this year. This year, yellow feels like, like, how have I never seen you before? You are delightful. Mm. And um, yeah, so that was my sweet kiss, yellow. Mm. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Oh, yellow. We love you, yellow. Amen. Amen. So Liz, will you take us out with our verse this week, please? Oh, yes. Mm. Our darlings. Our lover is constantly pursuing you and will stop at nothing. Stop at nothing to love you. And he looks at you and he says, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come with me. 